morning. Welcome. My name is Nayaswami Ananta. This is my wife, Nayaswami Maria. It's a great honor to have all of you join us. I have to say, we doubted your faith. As the snow was falling, we thought many would roll over and you did not disappoint the great masters. I'd like to welcome our guests to the Expanding Light and from the Meditation Retreat and the Living Discipleship group. So everyone is here. Uh, Our reading this week is Dogmatism versus Common Sense. It's from Rays of the One Light, parallel passages from the Bible and the Gita, assembled by Swami Kriyananda. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus warns, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Jesus here, as indeed many times during his teaching, counsels people to use their God-given common sense and not to rely on high-flown but undemonstrable claims. Common sense goes beyond abstract reason, for it is rooted in actual experience. Even common sense, however, is deficient when the judgment called for goes beyond sensory experience. Ultimately, what he emphasized always, therefore, was intuitive perception. Thus, he expected more of his disciples than crude common sense and often scolded them for being too literal-minded as he did elsewhere when he, they thought his statement, I have meat to eat that you know not of, meant that he had steaks or sandwiches secreted about his person. His reference, of course, was to spiritual, not material substance. Words, even though appearing in the scriptures, are no substitute for direct perception of truth. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the second chapter, the sage who knows God has as little need for the scriptures as one might have for a pond when the whole land is covered in flood. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. It's entitled, Open My Inner Eye. Open my inner eye, O fountain of light, that I may behold thee in the dance of the myriad-hued atoms. Burst open the doors of space that I may see thee behind the swirling mists of material illusion. 
Behind thy walls of brilliant cosmic rays, thou art hiding. Open every portal in nature, that I may see thee everywhere. So a hearty welcome as well to all of you who braved the weather. Those of you who are viewing online, we had a little bit of snow. <laughs> Doesn't take much, though, to make you sort of want to stay under those covers. <laughs> Anyways, um, our subject this morning is dogmatism versus common sense. And I think one of my favorite stories from the life of St. Francis uh, is the following, which I'll share with you. And Francis was <clears throat> wandering through the Italian countryside and <clears throat> going along on his own by himself. And uh, a woman came along who was begging and saw him and thought perhaps he would have something for her and <clears throat> solicited his help. Francis, living a very simple life, of course, had nothing and turned her away out on her own to find help elsewhere. But Francis wasn't happy with himself and he was struggling because he did have one possession with him and this was the Bible, something very near and dear to his heart that he kept with him all the time, and that he derived great inspiration from. And he felt bad keeping it back and holding it. He knew that this, it would be of value to this wisdom, not uh, to this woman, not for the wisdom it contained, but for its relative value. And after struggling a few moments, he ran after her, gave her the book, and said, go to the nearby town and sell it and use the money for food for yourself and your family. There must have been some semblance of joy within him that he could have helped this woman in this way, but even so, Francis was saddened, and he'd parted with the only thing of value. And he asked for God's help. He said, what am I going to do? You know, I so feel inspired by your very word contained in these pages. And God spoke back to him and said, Francis, it's only a book. I have planted in your heart a living Bible. And such is the life of Francis as we know it, a great, great saint and master. And he lived that life and that reality of truth. I remember many years ago, um, well, not so long ago, but after the completion of Finding Happiness, time goes by fast, but <laughs> after this movie was finished, a movie based on Ananda, but much more than just Ananda, the physical place, Ananda, the spirit of living the spiritual life, and we were gathered together, and Jyotish, our spiritual director and divine friend, he said, you know, this, this movie, this work, and all that comes forth from Ananda is going to continue to attract people 
and attract more people. They're going to come here for spiritual sanctuary. They're going to come here for the support that they feel and experience in living the spiritual life. And he said, this better be the real deal. And you better be the real deal. (laughs) And sort of felt the word of God there, you know, challenging us to keep the spirit alive in our lives and in our hearts and to really live the teaching, not be satisfied with living in spiritual community just not be satisfied by being surrounded by so many great souls and have this place be based on such a deep and true teaching, but to be truly living it and trying to live it to the best of our ability. Such a one as Jesus comes in fully realized as a master, in the case of Jesus, our line of gurus as avatars, They have a mission not just for a few people, but for the world. And they're addressing on many different levels these, you know, sharing these teachings on many, many different levels and addressing uh, consciousness on a lot of different levels. But to everyone to everyone, whatever their path, whatever their orientation, whatever their level of realization, the masters are saying to us, don't follow these teachings blindly. They are great, they are true, but don't follow them blindly. Dogmatism is that which is born of fear. It's born of ignorance. It's born of the desire to assume and achieve control of people, of uh, individuals, of groups of people. It's born of that intention to fill needs, human needs, material needs. That's what causes us to be dogmatic. Swami Kriyananda loved to say, dogmatism increases in direct proportion to one's inability to prove a point. (laughs) Very, very clear there. Yogananda told this story. He was uh, a true life occurrence, invited to the home of a friend uh, who was very troubled, um, very fundamentalist in his views, and deeply troubled about his son. And Yogananda arrived there and asked this man to share his troubles, and he did. And his son was up to no good and out at night drinking and just behaving in in all the wrong ways and, I guess, by his perception, doing all kinds of bad things that would lead nowhere. And he feared for his son. He feared, literally, the wrath of God. And he was describing this to Yogananda and how he knew his son was, as a consequent, going to burn for all eternity in hell. And Yogananda, knowing this, this man's view, uh, couldn't just speak the truths that he knew. He had to put it in some way that this man was going to get it. And he said, I have a solution. And 
the man said, really? He was really intrigued, and Yogananda said, this is what you need to do. He said, do you have a lot of rope? And the man looked at him puzzled, and yes, I've got rope. And Yogananda said, lots of it. And he said, yes. Yogananda said, go get the rope. And the man came back with the rope, and he said, turn your oven all the way up to the highest temperature. Man was totally puzzled, but believed in Yogananda. And Yogananda said, this is what we're going to do. When your son comes home, I'm going to stand behind the door. When he comes home, I'm going to grab him. You're going to take that rope, and you're going to bind him up in that rope, bundle him up, and then you're going to shove him in that oven. (laughs) The man was horrified, totally horrified, and he said, how can you dare say such a thing? How can you tell me to put my own flesh and blood in this oven and kill him? And Yogananda said, indeed. And how can God, for the things that we do wrong, punish us forever in hell and burn us for an eternity? And the man understood the foolishness of his views, of his beliefs, beliefs that were very real to him, but clearly were wrong and lost in dogmatism. The master's The power that flows through them, the influence that flows through them, is through their consciousness, their God-attuned consciousness. They speak, as Jesus said, that which they know. And you can feel that, and it's real, and it cuts through all dogmatic viewpoints. It cuts through all false truths the power of that divine consciousness that flows through them. Yogananda would travel oftentimes by train, lecturing from point to point. On this one particular route, I guess he was on there some amount of time, he would always go to the dining car and have something to eat there. And there was always a particular waiter that served him. And on this one occasion when he went, that table, that section of the car was full. Yogananda had to sit somewhere else. And the waiter was beside himself. You know, he loved, there was something about Yogananda, and he loved the opportunity to serve him in this way. And he was so saddened that it wasn't going to happen. And when he got a chance, he went up to Yogananda, and he was crying. He was just crying. And he looked at Yogananda, and he said, What is it that you have? I want what you have. And later, when Yogananda had the opportunity then, he taught him how to meditate. But that power of truth was, is a living reality through the masters, through the great ones, through the saints. It's what we aspire to, and it's what we try to attune ourselves to every day, lest we get caught 
by lesser truths, lest we get caught by false truths and dogmatisms. Beware of false prophets. They will be dressed in sheep's clothing. You know, the little harmless sheep. <laughs> you don't see, it doesn't look like it's going to do anything wrong. <laughs> you know, it's a gentle animal. And that's how dogmatism is. It can just sort of creep in, even about something little, even about something good. I remember when Swamiji asked us to uh, serve Ananda in Sacramento, and we moved down to uh, there and into an already existing uh, ashram, five bedrooms, and uh, everything, you know, how it happens with change. One thing moves and everything changes. So there were people going out and people going in, and there was a whole new, almost entirely new grouping of people when we arrived there. And I was looking around at everything kind of uh, somewhat in shock. I mean, just the transition, right? And uh, But just kind of sizing up my environment and, you know, how we were going to go about just sharing with people, being with people. And oftentimes, uh, certainly in the beginning, most times people very new to these teachings, very new to the spiritual life. And we're trying to be of some kind of help and teach people, if they're interested, how to meditate and whatnot. And I just, I looked around and I said, okay, Ananta, we've got to not talk organic food, compost. <laughs> we've got to just leave all that stuff out and, and just focus on, you know, Let's try to get people to come to meditation in the morning. And, uh, and that's what we did. I mean, we just tried to really go to the essence. And all these other things are good and significant and can even facilitate uh, a relative ease or transition into a yogic life. You know, whole foods, harmonious foods, this kind of thing, being vegetarian, we were, you know, we'd go out to dinner so much, lunch with people, just to be with them socially. And by way of inter, uh, introduction, I guess, to the waiter or waitress, I, I found myself in the beginning saying, we're all vegetarian. You know, okay, now we're going to order. And I realized, you know, I was doing a real discourtesy to these people. These people weren't vegetarian. They certainly weren't all vegetarian. They weren't interested in vegetarianism. And I had just told them we were eating vegetarian. I thought, oh no, here we go again. You know, and just back up, back up. When people, you know, trying to work with it and becoming vegetarian, I remember we had this, the cookbook came out then, and um, what was it? Simply Vegetarian. So that was like the Bible, you know, for people to learn how to cook vegetarian. For a week, practically all we had was pasta salad. They found out we liked it. It was at every meal. Then they found out we liked tabbouleh, and then it was tabbouleh at every meal. I mean, it was so sweet, really. They were trying to please and get behind the program and become familiar with, you know, vegetarian foods. But, you know, Master said it doesn't work for everybody. You have to look at your own body, look at your own health, and if your health is going to be compromised in that kind of way, well then to heck with it. It's not the most important thing in the spiritual life. Do the best you can. It's certainly harmonious to a yogic lifestyle, but be real. Be real. And 
<clears throat> Yogananda, the word he used was proper etarianism. You know, do the right thing for you. Figure it out, go within, do what you need to do, and then forget it. It's not the biggest thing, unless it's really holding up your health. But uh, to just not be dogmatic about even the things that are real for us, true for us, good guidelines for us, healthy guidelines for us. Yogananda tells this charming story uh, about this, the, this meditation group that was happening uh, when he was alive. And, and uh, they would meet together to meditate. They'd gather together to share around food. They would potluck foods. And I guess a couple of the people in the group just got into a tizzy over what kind of food was going to be appropriate to the potluck. And one of them insisted on custard, the other insisted on rice pudding, and the upshot of it was that the whole group itself disbanded. (laughs) Yogananda said, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Why can't they just have custard and pudding? But that's how dogmatism goes, doesn't it? We get so, we just take this little thing that's relatively harmless, maybe centered in truth, maybe not. But either way, we, it just becomes our religion and we go nuts on it. We go completely nuts on it and we lose our peace. We lose our spirituality over this little thing. So be discriminative, yes. Use your common sense, yes. But even then, it says in the readings, common sense is not the ultimate either. We can trip up over what our common sense tells us. We can get in trouble over that. When we first saw the community in uh, what is now Ananda Community in Sacramento, There was nothing about it that common sense would dictate this is something you should do, this is something you should get. There was nothing outwardly on the physical plane. You know, the grass was all dead on the property. It was yellowed, completely dead. The landscape was a mess. The buildings were a shabby, dark, muddy, dirty brown. The paint was falling off. The insides of the buildings were unkept and untenanted. The landlord didn't want to have anything to do with it. If the water ran out of the bathroom faucet, no big deal. He was off traveling in South America. Literally, he was. And just, it was a mess. There were dead cars, you know, probably about 10 of them, just unkept, wheels off. And that wasn't the worst of it. (laughs) Some of these people had weapons. They had really vicious dogs. They used drugs. They were abusive to their housemates. I mean, it was just, you didn't see that the first time you drove in, but... You could just see common sense said, "Uh uh-uh, don't do it, don't do it. And on top of that, it cost a million and a half dollars. And common sense definitely said, don't do it. We didn't have a dime. But everything else said, do it. This is it. 
this is Master's community. I mean, there was no doubt on that level. Not one little inkling of doubt. This is it. So be discriminative. Use your common sense. But don't, don't even totally rely on that. Try as much as you can to inwardly, intuitively, in your heart, feel. And when I was thinking about this, this thought just came in, and tense, relax, feel. You know, the guidelines for energization exercises that we do every day. Tense, relax, feel. And what this means in terms of trying to see wherein truth is and get to the center of it is bring the fullness of your energy to the situation, to the circumstance, to the problem, to the truth, to the scripture. Bring the fullness of your awareness, presence of mind, God-attuned consciousness to the situation And then relax. Relax with it. Try to be patient. The fruits will reveal themselves. So try to just be the observer. Watch the flow of energy. Watch for the feeling. Watch for the guidance. Watch for the living truth. And then feel. Feel in your heart. Try to, in that calmness within your own sense, Itself, get a sense for the quality of energy and feel it there. Feel it there and allow it to speak to you. And this is really, this really in a nutshell is how to live this life centered in truth and be discriminative, glean the truth from situations, circumstances, problems, where it's not always so visible, it's not always so obvious. For us as disciples, it's probably a very subtle point sometimes. You know, it can be even, it can be coming from someone we really respect, but we don't all have truth all the time. We're not infallible, and we need to bring our fullness of our awareness to everything so that we can live in that dynamic state of truth and be real. Thank you.